Amen. Good morning, City Light. And happy Thanksgiving. Man, uh, that was awesome. Whoever said that. Uh, This year, I am so thankful for my wife and kiddos. Uh, My wife and my oldest daughter was leading worship this morning. My son is running sound. I'm here. And uh, it's an awesome day for my family to get to serve our church. Uh, And also, just to be honest, guys, between an injury and some sickness, life just got disrupted for me the last couple of months. And uh, so just the basics of like daily rhythms with my family, I am thankful for this year. One of those rhythms, not too long ago, I was putting our youngest son, Josiah, to bed. And uh, normally it's this like series of really sweet moments with Josiah. We uh, sit down in his bed, snuggle together. I sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Then we hum, Jesus loves me, this I know. Then we pray together, and then he goes to bed. But this evening, he had some additional thoughts. He had a question for me. And so as I'm walking out of his room, he asked, hey, dad, if Jesus is up in heaven, how can he be here with me too? good question. And so as a dad, my mind is just racing. How do I respond? Like, do I introduce him to that vocabulary word, omnipresent? No, too many syllables, you know? Like, should I read some Bible verses to him? But I literally, like, no Bible verses were coming to mind in the moment. So I just said the first thing that came to my mind. Well, because Jesus is awesome like that, Josiah. And thankfully, that was enough for his six-year-old mind. Uh, But kids can ask some really funny questions. In fact, kiddos in the room, uh, after the sermon this morning, I would love to hear maybe some questions that you have for God. You could write them in that packet that you got when you came in, and then find me afterwards. I'd love to hear maybe what is a question you have. You might wonder, why did God ever make mosquitoes? Or did anything make God? Could God make a rock that is so big that not even God could move that rock? Will the Huskers' new coach ever work a miracle and get them to a bowl game again? (laughs) Kids, you might have all sorts of questions, or adults, man, no matter what age we are, young or old, we have questions for God. Questions about how he runs things or why he lets certain things happen. Why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Why do Christians suffer? Why do children suffer? Why do orphans suffer? We all have these questions for God lingering just below the surface of our ridiculously busy lives. And hear this, the Bible doesn't shy away from those questions. God doesn't shy away from those questions or the emotions behind them. Our passage this morning in Romans chapter 8, in it we're going to see a hard question, the emotion behind it, And yet, a sure answer. Last week, Eric walked us through Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 35. And in that, there were five questions. But each of those five questions had really quick answers. God is for us. God gives us all that we need. God justified us. Jesus takes away our condemnation. Boom, boom, boom. Five answers, five quick, um, or five questions, five quick answers. But now, this last question in Romans chapter 8, Paul asks the hard question, and then he lingers a little bit as he answers it. A hard question, the emotion behind it, and a sure 
answer. So here's the hard question straight out of Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can someone or something ever keep us or separate us from the love of Christ? And I know we've already read the answer, right? But don't fast forward there just yet. We know that Jesus loves us and he proved his love to us by dying on the cross for our sins. And then we're joined to him by faith in him. We're so thankful for the love of Jesus, but could something we do or someone else does, could something ever separate us from his love? I grew up with a rock star grandma. Now, I don't think she was actually in a rock band ever, but in my eyes, she might as well have been. I mean, she was awesome. She made the best pumpkin pie this side of the Mississippi River. She made the best cinnamon rolls. She always had peppermints in her purse whenever I wanted one. And I loved spending time with my grandma. I think she enjoyed spending time with me. She would just tell me story after story. I would sit there and listen. I loved being with my grandma which I think is why it was so hard when my grandma passed away. I knew that she was getting older. I knew that her health was getting worse. But when grandma died, that separation hit me hard. Like the following Christmas, my mom, she could still make grandma's pumpkin pie, but it wasn't the same. The cinnamon rolls, they weren't the same. And it wasn't the same because I wasn't with grandma. I couldn't talk with her. I couldn't listen to her. I couldn't get peppermints from grandma. I was separated from my grandma. Separation from any good relationship is always bad. Like if you've or a friend has ever been through a divorce, you know how terrible separation is. If you've ever lost a family member or another loved one, you know how agonizing separation is or maybe you played on the team together for years but and you built some bonds with your teammates but then some of them graduated and they moved on or you didn't make the cut the next season and if that's you you know just how disappointing separation can be but nothing is as terrible or agonizing or disappointing as separation from the love of Christ Even merely asking that question gets to the root of some of our deepest fears. Who, what, can something separate us from Jesus and his love for us? But Paul doesn't even just ask the question. He also invites us to ponder it and think on it by giving us a list of like potential barriers between us and the love of Christ. He asks, could tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? We know Jesus himself said, in this world you will have tribulation, pain, and suffering. We know that it's coming. Could uh, distress separate us from the love of Christ? Could persecution separate us from the love of Christ. The original readers of this letter to the Romans, some of them had been forcibly removed from the city of Rome. They lost their house, their community, their jobs, and now they had been allowed to return to the city that had rejected them, but they knew more persecution was probably coming. 
And even today, friends, let us remember we're reading the letter of Romans and around the world our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted for their faith. Just in the past year, Open Doors USA, a ministry to the persecuted church, they said 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith in Jesus. 5,110 church buildings were attacked. 4,765 Christians were arrested and imprisoned without trial. Can persecution separate us from the love of Jesus? What about famine? Could it separate us? Right here in the state of Iowa, one in 14 people, one in nine children face hunger. That's 229,500 people just in our state alone who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Bringing in closer right here to Council Bluffs, last year, Karen Sharehouse, a ministry we love to partner with, they fed over 6,800 people just in our city. What about nakedness, when we can't even afford clothes for ourselves or for our family? What about danger? What about the sword? Could violence separate us from the love of Jesus? And I don't think Paul was trying to be exhaustive here with his list. I mean, he certainly keys in on some of the original dangers that the readers were facing at that time. But like, what about us? What about you today? Could the bully at school separate you from the love of Christ? Could your addiction, could the lies that you told to your employer or your spouse or to God himself, could seasonal affective disorder or anxiety or cancer? Now, if you're like me, as I ask this hard question, there's probably a couple things that's happening on the inside. The first thing is when I ask this question, I immediately say no, right? Like, can the bully school separate me from Christ? No. Can anxiety over finances separate me from the love of Christ? No. And the reason that no comes so quickly is probably because there's a second thing happening on the inside. And that is shame over asking the question even in the first place. I shouldn't ever ask if anything can separate me from the love of Christ. Right? That's not a very Christian thing to do. I shouldn't doubt the love of Jesus. It's probably a sin just to even consider the possibility of that. No, I tell myself. Stop asking that hard question. But the Bible doesn't tell me to stop asking that hard question. It isn't Paul the apostle that's putting shame on me, and it's certainly not the Holy Spirit pouring shame into my heart. To the contrary, Paul doesn't only ask the question, he asks it, and then he gives this list of potential barriers to the love of Christ. Then he takes it a step further when he quotes an Old Testament passage in which God's people ask the same question, but this time with emotion, with frustration. So Paul asked the hard question, and now he takes us into the emotion behind the question. Romans chapter 8, verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, when you look at that verse, you'll notice the quotations, right? And anytime you see a quote like that in the Bible, it's probably because the Bible is quoting the Bible. And it's always worth going back to figure out where did that quote come from? Get a good study Bible, it'll tell you where it came from, or text your friends in your city group and say, hey, I'm reading this passage and I think this is a quote. Anybody know what this quote is from? 
In this case, Romans chapter 8, verse 36 is quoting Psalm 44, verse 22. And if you were to go back and read Psalm 44, we would find that God's people are not happy. In fact, they're frustrated with God. Look at Psalm 44, verse 17 through 22. Here's what they write to God. All this has come upon us. What is this? Well, from the previous verses in Psalm 44, we know this is stuff like tribulation and famine and distress. It's that sort of stuff. They're saying, God, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We don't deserve this, God. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. They're saying, God, listen, if we had done something wrong, you would know it. You would know, God, if we were like worshiping a false idol. You would know, God, if we had turned from your ways. But you know we haven't done that. And yet, verse 22, For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Can you hear the emotion behind the question? They're frustrated with God. They are maybe even angry with God. They're exhausted by their suffering. And so they're looking God in the face and saying, God, you're the one letting this happen. God, this is for your sake. These people in Psalm 44, they don't merely ask a hard question. They ask the hard question with emotion to God himself. City Light, some of us have real questions for God. Ask them. Ask them to God. Ask them to God with emotion. God, why did you let me marry this person? God, why am I still single? God, why haven't you changed my situation? Why am I still stuck here? God, I'm trying so hard to live for you, but it just feels like life gets tougher and tougher instead. God, do you still love me? Or did you cut me off from your love? Did I do something and I don't even know what it is and now maybe you don't love me anymore? What's your question for God? Let me encourage you, do what the people of God did in Psalm 44. Do what Paul invites us to do in Romans chapter 8. He asks a hard question and then he mentally explores potential barriers like famine and distress and persecution. And he even emotionally explores the question by quoting a psalm from the Old Testament that is loaded with frustration and anger at God himself. But they took it to God himself. And so surely this is an invitation for us to do the same thing. Now, we're Midwesterners, so we're nice. And we don't complain, at least not too loudly, right? We just roll with the punches and we work hard. So let me give you a reason why we should honestly and passionately ask our questions about God to God. Here's why. 
Because when we ignore our hard questions by stuffing them just below the surface of our busyness or our niceness, then the only answers we're going to ever receive for those questions are surface answers. And those surface answers are at best only going to give us surface confidence in them. You tracking with this? When we ignore those hard questions about God and to God, then we're only going to get surface answers, and those surface answers only lead to surface confidence. But here's some incentive for you. When we engage our hard questions about God and to God, then the answers we will find will be real answers that produce radical confidence. Real answers that will produce radical confidence in us. Let me show it to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Paul writes, for I am sure. Not, I suppose, or I kind of think that maybe. No, he says, I am sure. When we engage God with our hard questions about him and to him, then he engages us and we're going to get real answers that lead to radical confidence. So in Romans 8, we've asked the hard question, can, could something separate me from the love of Jesus? And we looked at the emotion behind it, and now let's look at the sure answer. What is Paul so sure about? Look at verse 37. He says, after he asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he engaged the emotion behind it. Then he says, verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Chew on this answer a little bit. Paul is saying that the love of Christ doesn't prevent us from tribulation, but the love of Christ makes us more than conquerors in the tribulation. The love of Christ doesn't prevent us from famine or nakedness or danger, but the love of Christ makes us more than conquerors in the famine or the nakedness or the danger or the sword. The love of Christ doesn't keep us away from persecution. The love of Christ makes us more than conquerors when we're in the middle of the persecution. Now, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror in these things? Let's take persecution, danger, and the sword as our first example. History tells the story of a Christian woman named Perpetua. She lived in the late 200s in the Roman Empire. She was a wealthy woman. But when she came to faith in Jesus, she lost everything because she declared her faith in Jesus. They gave her the opportunity to turn from her faith in Jesus. She said, I cannot be something that I am not. And so they sentenced her to the dungeons. Perpetua, she said, the dungeon is to me a palace. Then she was sentenced to being fed to the lions. But Perpetua's response, she rejoiced that her death would glorify God. She knew that facing the lions didn't mean God no longer loved her. In fact, facing the lions gave her an opportunity to express and share her love for Jesus. Even her death became a way for her to glorify God. So in the danger, she became more than a conqueror. 
Or another example, let's take famine and nakedness. How are we more than a conqueror in famine and nakedness? Corey Ten Boom was a Christian woman during World War II. She and her family were sentenced to a Nazi concentration camp because they would hide and try to protect Jewish people. And so Corey and her sister Betsy were put in barracks number 28 in Ravensbrook camp. It was this long, sprawling room where the bunk beds were literally just smashed together. There was no walking space. There was no personal space. Women were made to sleep four or five to a bed. They had to share blankets. They were made to stand outside in freezing cold temperatures, nearly naked for hours at a time. And then after that, they had to go work 11 hours a day in miserable conditions. So what do Corey and her sister Betsy do in the famine and the nakedness. Corey answers it this way in her phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, you got to. It's called The Hiding Place. She writes, one thing became increasingly clear, and that was the reason the two of us, she and her sister, were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible. She was able to miraculously get a Bible in. Our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. And then she quotes our passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. No, in all these things, in barracks number 28, in Ravensbrook, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now note, the famine and nakedness didn't prevent Corey from experiencing the love of Jesus. But at the same time, the love of Jesus didn't prevent her from experiencing famine and nakedness. Instead, the love of Jesus inspired her in the famine and nakedness to love others serve others, share her Bible with others. And as more and more ladies came to Jesus in Ravensbrook camp, Corey knew she's more than a conqueror. Now, those examples might seem a little too extreme for us. After all, I don't think any of us are in a dungeon about to face wild beasts. And none of us are in a concentration camp about to starve to death. But Here's, here's my thought. If Romans chapter 8 held true for Corey ten Boom and for Perpetua in their situations, then certainly it can hold true for us. Surely when my shoulder was screaming and crying out in pain and I sat in my bed in tears, surely then I could say, he still loves me. This pain won't separate me from the love of Jesus. And surely, if there is a bully at your school picking on you without minimizing your pain or his sin, surely you can know that though he may hate me, I am loved by Jesus. In this, Jesus loves me. I, I will report him to my teacher. He shouldn't get away with what he's doing. But even in this, I am more than a conqueror and I can pray for my persecutor. And surely if you're the one in the doctor's office who receives the diagnosis of cancer 
even then you can say, this cancer will not separate me from the love of Jesus. Even in this, I can know the love of Jesus and share the love of Jesus. I am more than a conqueror, even in this, through him who loved me. We can have that confidence that nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Why? Because Jesus himself, Christ himself, faced it for us. Okay, go back to Romans 8, 35 and 36. Look at it again. Does it not read like a biography of Jesus who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here it is. Jesus himself faced tribulation. He faced tribulation as he was pressed and stretched for his beatings before he went to the cross. And Jesus himself faced distress, right? When he was sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he suffered the persecution of Roman crucifixion. And Jesus himself, he faced famine when he fasted 40 days in the desert and when he was on the cross hanging and he cried out, I thirst. And Jesus, he wore nakedness on that cross, bloody and shameful, exposed before everybody walking by. And Jesus, he faced danger there in the Garden of Gethsemane as the guards approached him to arrest him unfairly. And he faced danger as some of those same guards drove the nails into his wrist and his ankles. And Jesus took the sword when those nails went into him. Jesus took the sword as the spear pierced his side. For God's sake, Jesus was being killed all the day long. He was regarded as a sheep to be slaughtered. In City Light, that very tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword, that is how God showed his love for us. Romans 5 verse 8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You expand that just a little bit. You could say, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ went through tribulation and distress and persecution, and famine, and nakedness, and danger, and sword to show us his love. And Jesus didn't endure all of that so that we would never have to go through something similar. Jesus endured all of that so that when we go through something similar, we can still know his love in it. We can know the love of Jesus on our worst days because Jesus showed his love for us on his worst day. We can even know the love of Jesus, even if we or our dear brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are led like sheep to be slaughtered because Jesus himself was a lamb who was slaughtered for our sins. When we consider Christ on the cross, city light, we can be sure Verses 38 and 39, we can be sure that neither death nor life, because he died and he rose, nor angels, nor rulers, not the demons or the devil himself, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord already faced all of that. And all of that couldn't keep the love of Jesus from us in the first place. And so all of that now can't keep the love of Jesus from us now. The love of Jesus went through all that and came out on the other side, scarred, but also resurrected. In City Light, the truth is, I got to be honest here, 
life will give us scars as well. We will come out on the other side scarred, but able to say, even in our worst days, he loves me. He loves me. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. So we've asked the hard question. And we engaged the emotion behind it, and we found the sure answer right where we always expected it, right? The love of God in Christ Jesus on the cross. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, God, thank you for the crucifixion. Thank you for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we want to tell you thank you and we want to praise you. We want to exalt you and magnify you because you went through it. You suffered the tribulation. You suffered the distress. You suffered the persecution. You suffered the famine and the nakedness, the danger and the sword. Jesus, you went through all of it, all the way to death and then back alive. And so, Jesus, now we know nothing can separate us from your love. Father, I pray right now for anyone in the room or tuning in online who might wonder, has Jesus forgotten me? Does he even know my name? Like, did did I do something to separate me from the love of Jesus? Can, Can some of the stuff I'm going through cut me off from the love of Jesus? Oh, Father, would you give them the grace to engage that question with you, to ask it honestly, even with emotion, frustration, to bring it to you, and then, God, I pray, would you engage them? Engage them by your Holy Spirit. Engage them with your scriptures. Speak into their hearts so that their real question gets a real answer, and it produces radical confidence that they might be courageous even in their suffering. Or they might be courageous even in their repentance and turning back to you. They might be courageous even in their faithful risk for your kingdom. When you call them into things, they say yes, because they've engaged with you honestly. Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood that you gave freely. No one took it from you, but you laid it down of your own accord to prove your love for us. So this morning, even as we take communion, what it reminds us, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' good name.